Hey Tractionville, we've got something new for you. We've been thinking, so many of you are running on EOS with a variety of experiences. And the best way we can help you execute the tools and components of EOS is to break them down and give you some tips on how to really use them well. That's why we're starting a new weekly segment called Tractionville Tips. In just five minutes, we'll give you our practical advice on how to navigate the challenges and roadblocks you face as you unlock the power of the EOS toolkit. Each week, we'll answer a specific question about a tool, break down a common issue, or provide a helpful tip that you can use in leading your team. Look for Tractionville Tips every Thursday, wherever you're enjoying this podcast. And if you've got a burning question, share it with us. You can submit your question at Tractionville.com. We're here to help you run on EOS and grow as you go. See you for Tractionville Tips every Thursday. You know, you don't want to have a shotgun effect and just kind of broadly advertise or or post something on, you know, Founder Suite and hope somebody comes knocking on your door. You need to be proactive. Well, we can be proactive in a strategic manner uh, and work on uh, and leverage those relationships that are already in place because not only are there relationships, we know what they're looking for. Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with... Benj Miller. And today, we're really excited to introduce our our listeners to Fran Karosik, who is an M&A director at Align Business Advisory Services. Fran, welcome to Tractionville. Happy to be here. All right, so we could go a bunch of different ways. We're super excited to have you on, Fran. We haven't had this topic um on the podcast before so i know our listeners are going to be excited because the reality is a lot of our uh entrepreneurs out there um they talk a lot about succession planning exit strategy m a but they they never really do or you know they get so wrapped up in the day-to-day next thing 10 years go by and hey what's your exit strategy i don't know i don't have one um and so tell us a little bit about, you know, your expertise and how you're helping uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it, it varies, right? It depends upon the entrepreneur and what they want to accomplish. But I guess you have to first figure out what they want to accomplish and what their goals are, right? So at the end of the day, uh, you know, you, you use the word strategy, exit strategy. So what is it? You know, what are the goals and objectives of that founder, entrepreneur, CEO of the company? Uh, Are they looking to, based on their life circumstances, maybe it's time to retire. Uh, Maybe they don't have a a true succession plan in place uh, at the company, and therefore it is just time to find somebody else to take that enterprise and move it forward. Uh, Does that founder, entrepreneur, are they looking to truly retire? Just, you know, write me a check and I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to play golf. And there, right. there are people that want to do that. However, there are other people that uh, that want to still be engaged with the business, but maybe take a role that is more appealing to them at the point they are in their life. For example, I mean, you can approach uh, an exit uh, with a business by maybe just focusing on sales 
uh, and being involved in the business in just that function where the acquiring organization uh, takes on the back office operations, if you will, right? And that can, that can flip around. Maybe the founder is more interested on the technology side and wants to be that chief technology officer uh, and leave that administrative stuff or the sales stuff up to somebody else. Uh, believe it or not, the other thing that has to be considered uh, is, you know, what does the significant other want? You know, the, the decision on exiting a business that has been uh, the heart and soul of the CEO founder and, oh, by the way, the significant other uh, need to be considered, right? So, you know, you want to work through that. And it's a, it's a, it's a delicate subject to work through those things. Uh, you know, it comes down to, uh, you know, personal wants and desires. Uh, there are other considerations as well. For example, you know, the leadership team that may be in place. You know, what does the leadership team uh, need? What does the founder want for that leadership team? So there's lots of things that go into figuring out, you know, what's the right strategy uh, uh, to approach exit when that time is right. Uh, and, oh, by the way, when is that time right? There's multiple things that go into that as well. Uh, for example, uh, just the personal preferences of that founder, CEO, and when they want to exit the business. But there's also a consideration based on the business itself and the timing in which that business is marketed to private equity companies, for example, mm. is that market hot? I mean, so there's lots of things that you need to take into account. Brian, when we're thinking about timing based on a market and market being hot, are there things in the business that you see like kind of missed opportunities, the things that really create value on a sale? What are some of those attributes of a company that can get maybe that higher multiple in ways that they weren't thinking about? What matters? So good question. So uh, the higher multiples have a lot to do with uh, EBITDA, right? Uh, so the market that it had multiple factors, the market that that the, the vertical market that that company is in, uh, is that a growth market, right? Is there uh, a need or opportunity for consolidation of competitors within that market, right? A fractured market is always a good thing. Uh, when it comes to uh, selling a business. So uh, another factor is EBITDA, right? So is the company uh, at least, you know, 10, 15, 20 or percent or greater EBITDA? That, that EBITDA number really affects the multiplier and really the multiplier is calculated off of EBITDA for the most part. Uh, the other thing is what's the type of business uh, revenue stream or contracting mechanism used within that? Recurring revenues are always better than one-time project-based revenues, right? So the, the funding organizations, the acquiring organizations are looking for kind of that steady revenue flow. And then, and then of course, the other thing around EBITDA and uh, revenue is just, you know, is it, is it growing over time? What's the trends uh, just within that business in and of itself? Other factors include the leadership team that will be left behind after the uh, CEO founder exits. Uh, Another factor is that CEO founder and the role that they play within the company. If that CEO founder is the only one that can sell versus the leadership team that's left behind, that could affect valuation as well. Now, one of my friends just went through an uh, acquisition of his company and he stayed on to sell exactly like your example, but he, he's in a very capital intensive industry. So he's always having to uh, invest in new in equipment and to stay ahead and to stay on top of the competition. And, uh, it was just always a battle for cash, you know, producing the cash versus the capital, 
requirements and he stayed on to sell and he's six months in. We talk on the phone. He's like, Benj, I can't believe my paycheck. I'm making more money now selling for this company than I did carrying the entire <laughs> burden of the whole thing. So uh, it doesn't always end up as a win for the, the seller who stays on, but um, it sounded like a good deal for him. Fran, I want to ask you about something that nobody really wants to talk about. And that's, um, can you talk a little bit about how to protect ourselves from a tax standpoint during one of these transitions? Um, I've heard horror stories. I've heard uh, stories where people like yourself come into the picture and say, hey, if we do it this way instead of that way, we can have big implications to the bottom line. Um, you know, us simple folk that just like to create value and build teams and, and build organizations it's the last thing on our mind is, is how do we optimize for a, for a tax situation on a sale? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So it has a lot to do with uh, you know, how the business is structured, right? How are the assets of the business structured, right? Uh, you know, we encounter, a, 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 which is a very good strategy. A business operates within a facility. The facility may not be the asset of the company that gets sold. The facility may be an asset of the CEO founder, his own personal asset, right? So you don't necessarily have to sell that asset when the transaction occurs, the business can end up leasing that, continuing to lease that space over a period of time. So there's ways to do that. There's other ways around intellectual property where the intellectual property is actually held. Uh, there are implications around how monies are paid out over time, if it's cash, if it's stock, you know, there's, there's lots of different implications. There's a, a, a component of ensuring that the, you know, most lower middle market companies, not most, many of them are S corps or LLCs, which has the uh, exposure and or benefit, depending on your point of view of having an individual's personal finances wrapped up inside the business's finances. You want to make sure that those things get separated through that process. And then, and then, uh, you know, that has tax implications as well, both on the transaction of the deal itself, as well as the individual. Do you need help hiring your next superstar? Have you ever hired someone to learn that they don't align with your culture and core values? Vision Spark is the go-to resource for companies running on EOS. Their team of search professionals are experts in people. VisionSpark's proprietary process ensures that you hire the right person for long-term cultural fit and bottom-line growth. Let VisionSpark strengthen the people component of your business. VisionSpark, right search, right team, right seats. You can visit VisionSpark at visionsparksearch.com. Friend, when should an owner founder think about like is there is there a particular time in 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 their career like they they, they started the business they built it nurtured it you know they're 10 plus years into it when should they start thinking about uh doing some of this planning well the the the, the theoretical answer is immediately as soon as possible right you know, you need to, if, if you don't have a goal or objective, how do you know your, how do you know the path to take in order to get okay. there? Right. So, uh, the earlier, the better. Uh, I mean, the, the reality is if you, if you think you're within five to 10 years of wanting to exit the business is probably a good time to start thinking about it. You start getting in the, you know, one to two year window, 
you know, you, 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 you really miss some, you have the, you, you lose the luxury of time to really think through, sure. to really be able to uh, contemplate offers based on the merits of that offer, as opposed to the urgency of just wanting to exit, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it also allows you the ability that if you have a sound strategy, you know, you, you could potentially get yourself into a competition where different organizations are vying for that business. But again, that requires time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you have a strategy and plan, then you know what you're looking for. So when offers are made, you have something to compare that offer against what your objectives are. And you have to, be, you know, and you, and you use that as a guidepost through the process. And I don't know if you can answer this question, but I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been through this a couple of times myself, but I know people out there are, are thinking about it. Like, is there an average amount of time, you know, let, let's say I've done, uh, all my prep work, right? And I'm, 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 I'm now ready to put it out there. Um, uh, it, obviously, it'll vary by the market. It'll vary by the company. But in general, uh, you know, I'll put it in context of when a line business advisory works with a with a client. You know, from the time that we get engaged, which begins with a kickoff meeting and really do, doing deep dive in the financials, the organization, the insurance situations around the company. You know, it's could be anywhere from thirty to ninety days uh, to go from that kickoff meeting to deal closure, right? And again, many factors go into that. Uh, the attractiveness of the business, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the acquiring organization itself, how they handle themselves through the due diligence process. But generally speaking, once a pri let's say a private equity company expresses interest in a company, their motivation is to close as soon as possible, mm. right? right? So, so once, a, once a PE or a strategic acquirer gets involved, you, know, you expect that clock to really go fast. You know, and then and then uh, the other part of that is the CEO founder, the organization itself that's being acquired. How responsive are they, right? And that that's where the things like uh, Aligned Business Advisory can try and help, will help a client work through some of those things to help speed that process up, to be able to interpret what the ask is in the due diligence questions, to be able to respond in a timely and effective manner. Hmm. Fran, I expected you to say the opposite. I expected you to say, you know, slow down, be patient. It's going to go really slow. But your your answer was the opposite. Talk about the mindset that that founder visionary needs to have through the process. They've got to be willing to let go. A CEO founder has put a significant chunk of their life into buildings, what they have, right? Uh they don't want to fail their employees, their leadership team. And I'm not suggesting that they should just totally let it go. And that's not important. I'm, what I'm saying is, is they're protective, right? They've had, they've taken on so much for so many people, right? The, the, the willingness and, and ability to, to, to allow things to be different after you're gone. Uh, you have to have that mindset, right? Uh, if, if you don't adapt a little bit, it will be much harder to find somebody to want to take your company that you will be willing to let take your company over, right? So there's this give and take. Uh, you have to be ready, right? I talked about the significant other being involved in the process. That's a big deal as well, right? Uh, everybody has to be on board uh, with that activity, with, with what is about to happen. Uh, and uh, you have to be able to open up, open the kimono, so to speak, 
and and share the good, bad, and and indifferent of of the organization and the business that's there. Uh, otherwise, it'll just make the deal harder, right? If if you're not transparent and forthcoming with what it is that you have to offer, the people on the on the buy side, you know, they're smart folks, right? They'll figure stuff out, right? And and if they don't feel you're trustworthy, just like the CEO founder doesn't think potentially could think a buy, the buyer would not be trustworthy. That's what, where deals fall apart. Fran, I, I'm going to uh, assume here, but dealing with visionary founders, we tend to think we can do everything ourselves. And this seems like an area that's a no brainer to go hire someone like yourself to come in and help run the process. And, um, you know, I would assume introduce us to options and, and resources, people that we would not know of or have uh, access to. But I want you for the sake of all the MA people out there, give us give us visionaries a plug on why we should hire someone for this process and not go it alone. The simple answer is how many times have, have you, the CEO founder, gone through an exit, right? If even if you're a serial entrepreneur, it, it's not going to be you know, it's going to be able to be count probably on, on one one hand, the fingers on one hand, right? Uh, you know, Align Business Advisory will do, I don't know, 20 plus transactions this year of various valuations in various markets, uh, quarter kind of quarterbacking the deal, if you will, for the seller. Uh, the other part of it is going on your own versus working with an organization like Align and others that are out there. There's plenty of good companies in this space uh, that Align Business Advisory is in, although Align, of course, is better. Uh, the relationships with the buy side, right? That's one of the key things, you know, that helps make a deal go uh, faster uh, and or better and may help in the valuation exercise as well. Uh, having relationships with multiple private equity organizations or strategic investors, strategic acquirers, uh, helps expedite that process. The, co the, the CEO founder probably doesn't have multiple relationships in that space uh, where a line does, right? So when we go and pull together, you know, the, what's called the teaser, not disclosing the name of the company to be sold, but the, the aspects of what the deal, what the opportunity represents and start placing that in front of various uh, buying organizations, you know, preparing that and putting that in front of the right buyers is important, right? You know, you don't want to have a shotgun effect and just kind of broadly advertise or, or post something on, you know, founder suite and hope somebody comes knocking on your door. You need to be proactive. Well, we can be proactive in a strategic manner uh, and work on, uh, and leverage those relationships that are already in place because not only are the relationships, we know what they're looking for. We'll bring financial expertise, for example, to help separate out that personal finance that's intertwined with the business finance. You need to get that all taken care of ahead of time because quite honestly, that will affect valuation, right? You want to make sure that that's separate. So how do you maximize your valuation? We have strategies and techniques to be able to do that, right? Uh, when you're working through the uh, due diligence process, you know, having somebody that's looking out for your best interest, helping to prepare the responses that will meet the needs of the funding organizations. You know, we, we know how to do that, right? We know how to, we know how, what, when they ask the question, we know what they're really trying to get at so we can respond appropriately to, again, facilitate the deal to closure. 
Uh, I'm not saying that a CEO founder can't do that. I'm just saying that having somebody to help guide that through that process that, that's been there and done that will make that mm -hmm. process much more smoother. Yeah. More than, more than likely than if you do it on your own. Yeah. Well, I could go drive a thousand golf balls by myself or I could hire a pro and, and, you know, have my, my swing evaluated and all that much quicker and, and faster. Um, or, or I would just let the pro play golf for me and go do something else. <laughs> well, it's, if you play golf scrambles, you know, it's all about stacking the team with the ring. <laughs> well, you know, and that, that makes me think of this question, Fran. So if an owner visionary, you know, teams up like with a line with, with your business services, right? So who, who do they need internally on their team through this process? It's a very good question, right? Because a lot of times, you know, the, you know, there's a tendency as from a CEO founder to not want to in, you know, spread the news within the company because of issues that may cause. And by the way, that's very real, right? So, you know, there needs to be involvement with the key leadership and it's a, it's, a, it's a close circle of trusted individuals that are involved in the business, right? But, you know, you need to have your key operations leader. You need to have your key financial leader involved. You, pro you need to have your key human resource leader involved. Likely there's an outside, uh, you know, like a third-party accounting firm that the organization works with. They need to be involved. Uh, there's the, the, the company likely will have a, an attorney that they deal with. You know, they would need to be involved. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm not saying that you, you announce it to the, the broad base of the of the company, but there are key individuals that need to be involved early on through the process. And then at the right time, there does need to be communication to the broader company as the deal is getting close. Right. Because you don't want to ca cause an issue going forward where, uh, you know, uncertainty and fear can develop with the people within the company without proper communication. And we can help guide that. That, that. What are some of the keys to that conversation that help it go well? Uh, assurance that jobs will be there. Assurance that the acquiring organization, uh, you know, what their goals and objectives are. Uh, assurance that, for example, the CEO founder is still going to stay engaged with the business, making sure that that gets communicated. Uh, things, you know, let's, let's face it, a lot of people don't relish change. So you need to be able to provide assurance that there won't be that much change. There will be change, but it won't be that much change. And for those that relish change, what is that change going to be so they can get in line? So it, it's all about just effective communication, setting up proper expectations and, uh, uh, you know, being truthful, right? Fran, I want to go back to our EBITDA conversation. It's, it's, that's kind of probably the number one contributor to the, valuation, um, or at least the multiple, how do we balance that with growth? Cause if we, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going on a timeline where I know I'm out of here in, in two years, do I s slow down growth so I can maximize EBITDA or, or do those have a relationship together? Um, I know in the SaaS world, they talk about the rule of 40. So if you've got 40% profitability or 40% growth rate or some, you know, combination where it adds up, but that's only in SaaS world. So uh, I don't know how it applies to, to other markets. Oh, well, you know, they're looking, typically you're looking at two numbers, right? What's the revenue? What's the top line? What's the trends associated with that? Obviously, an, a, a, 
a growing trend uh, is better than uh, a flat trend. Uh, but flat trending revenue is not necessarily a deal killer. Uh, revenue that's erratic, up and down, that or or trending downward sure. doesn't help. I mean, that's just stating the obvious. EBIT is the same way, right? I mean, it's it and, it, and you know, it, you you want to see it growing. You want to see it, at, at, you know, at minimum flat. You don't want to see it going up and down. And if it is going up and down, why? You know, what are are there any, uh, you know, one time expenses that are in there that are explainable, you know, that uh, you can assess and put right out front as the, hey, this went down because, you know, we we made a significant investment in product innovation. And now the market is starting, you know, there's stories around things like that, that uh, uh, that affect EBITDA that need to be understood. And, and, and sometimes when we're going through and prepping a, uh, an organization to sell, you know, sometimes there's really not a good explanation other than it just was a bad year. You know, something happened in the market. We lost a key sales individual. Uh, you know, things of that nature do affect uh, uh, those kinds of numbers. I'm Not thinking about. Pause. I'm thinking about. Uh, <laughs> I had a an experience with one of my buyouts, uh, and this was early on in my entrepreneurial career. And uh, I was in a meeting with a Fortune 500 company, and I went there with one objective and that was to partner up with them. And I got in this meeting and um, it was with the owner and their entire senior leadership team, probably about 12 people. And they, uh, they came in, they sat down and after we got through the small talk, um, we, I kind of went into my pitch and I wasn't even five minutes into my pitch and the owner uh, leaned over to the person to his right said, okay, so what are we doing? Are we buying these guys? And I was kind of like, where'd that come from? <laughs> so I, I kind of just got everybody's attention. And I said, you know, I, I, I didn't come here today to talk about that. I thought we were talking about, you know, working together. And then the person who the owner spoke to the right just came back to me and said, well, Chris, what's your last three years EBITDA? And in a nanosecond, I said, well, I didn't come here, to, you know, to share that private information, but if today goes well, we'll have another meeting, right? Well, so being completely vulnerable with you guys and our entire Tractionville community, I didn't know what EBITDA was. I walked out of that meeting shaking in my boots. I called my accountant and I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this word right. EBITDA, 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 EBITDA. And I go, what is it? And so, you know, I was really financially illiterate, you know, when I started my first businesses and I had my accountant teach me, you know, the top, he kind of made a glossary of terms for me, uh, top 10 glossary financial terms in business. And that's, uh, you know, that's my EBITDA story. So uh, for all our listeners out there, you know, don't be embarrassed if you don't know what EBITDA is but it is a number that you're going to want to learn about. A very important number. If you want to sell your, your business, um, you know, your, your, so go look it up. EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the balance sheet, the, the earnings statement, right? cash flow, those are all significant, significant items uh, that need to be understood. So Frank, for those listeners out there that are, that are like, okay, I think I'm ready. Like I've heard what Fran had to say and I listened to all the questions the guys asked. I heard the answers. 
what advice would you give them? What's their next step? What's well, their first step? Well, the first step is engaging conversation with somebody to just talk through what their goals and objectives are, right? You know, you know just because you're ready doesn't mean it's ready to, it's, you're ready to go, right? Mm. You, you, you need to have a strategy. You know, what are you really trying to do? What, you're, what are you really trying to achieve? And again, it goes back to a lot of the things we talked about earlier about, are you looking for a check or do you still want to be engaged? You know, you know, or, you know, you have to work through those things. Uh, and then, and then, uh, and then once you have that understood, you know, working with a, with an organization like Align Business Advisory or others uh, that are out there uh, to help guide you through the process, because it, it will be a rigorous process you know, to your point, Chris, you know, there'll be terms that are utilized that you may not understand, but you got to have somebody on your team that understands oh, yeah. uh, what's happening around them and what the next things would be anticipatory of what's coming next uh, to help guide that through that process, right? Uh, you want to create an environment where there's competition for your business. How's the best way to go about that? I mean, I've described how Align can help in that regard, you know, but there's investment bankers that are out there that, but they typically work with larger companies. You know, if we're talking about a company somewhere between five and a hundred million in annual revenues, that's not typically the right company for, to engage an investment banker on, right? It's, it's too small of a business, you know? And then the other thing is you need to protect against working with somebody that I'll characterize as a, as a pure broker, uh, where they're looking at the transaction as, as an asset sale, like a real estate deal, right? You know, tell me what your buildings are, tell me what your inventory is, you know, and, and then we'll, we'll set a valuation based on those hard physical assets. Valuation should be set, yes, including those things, but also what's the value of the business? What's the market potential, right? So how, you know, you really need to make sure that, you know, you set expectations with the buy side community about what you're, what you're looking for based on, you know, what the potential is of that business, not just its physical assets. Right. So, so you got to pick the right organization to, to work with the guide to guide you through that process and, and augment your existing team uh, with skills and expertise that maybe you don't have uh, uh, whether that be financial, legal, human resources, insurance, or just in general, just the, you know, the, the awareness of how an M and a deal goes to guide you through that process. Where, um, you've been so helpful with your, your time and expertise today. Where can people find uh, more about you and your firm? Uh, well, you can find uh, us on the internet at alignba.com, A-L-I-G-N-B-A.com. Uh, you can find me always on LinkedIn, Fran Karosik. <laughs> And, uh, you know, just feel free to call me and, and happy to engage in an you know, exploratory conversation. You know, I've, I've, I met with a company yesterday evening that, uh, you know, they're not ready to sell. Uh, but the conversation was one, okay, you're not ready to sell, but what, what, what does that mean? What do you really want to achieve? Do you have any thoughts or ideas or objectives in your mind when it, so that you know when it is the right time? I'm happy to engage in those conversations uh, just to talk it through. That's great. That's great. Leave us, um, you know, you've got a group of, of Tractionville out there. It's a group of entrepreneurs, builders, visionaries, integrators. What's one piece of advice um, that, you know, you've seen over and over and over you can leave us with today? Uh, you don't have to be, a, you don't have to do it on your own. You know, there's people out there that can help you through the process. Uh, and there's people out there that, that uh, you can build a relationship with so that you can trust them to, 
to ensure that that you know that they're looking out for your best interest. Uh, building those relationships well in advance of you wanting to sell your business uh, is the best thing to do. That's so good. I appreciate that. There is a a trap that that leaders get stuck in that that we're on our own, you know, that we carry all the weight and it's so helpful to have, uh, just other allies out there, people like yourself, people in the Tractionville community. So thank you, Fran. Thank you for your time. All that information we'll put in the show notes. So Tractionville, you can go find Fran, connect to him. And as always, we will see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday.